This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, Well That's Good fam? Welcome back to the Well That's Good podcast. Y'all, today we have a very special guest. I cannot wait to get to her. But first, I got to tell you about our conference coming up August 19th and 20th, the Ello Sister Conference right here in Monroe, Louisiana. And I especially have to shout out all of you college students. Y'all, we have a code right now, college. Literally, if you just type in college, whenever you check out um, at ellosisterconference.com, you can get $20 off your ticket, which is so great and that code is gonna be active till May 15th. So you just got about a week and a half left. So if you're in college and you're coming to the Ellis Sister Conference, when you buy your ticket, go to ellosisterconference.com, type in the code college for $20 off your ticket. So pumped to see you here, cannot wait. Okay, now without further ado, we're gonna get to our guest today. She is a best-selling author. She's written over 30 books. One book in particular, Redeeming Love. I'm sure you've heard about it. If you haven't, it's honestly my favorite book book ever. They have sold over 3 million copies of this incredible book and it is now a movie. She also has a new book out I have right here called The Lady's Mind and I am so thrilled to get to talk to this incredible woman. We have Francine Rivers on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to have you. Well, I got to start this off the same way I start every podcast, which is asking you the question, and this is a big one, but what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, wow. That, you know, that's a loaded question. It depends on what area of my life. I think, you know, the major question, my mom, um, her major, her, her favorite verse was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Hmm. And I consider that my life first now but i if i had only if i had only listened to her when i was a young girl i was like in my late 30s when i became a christian wow but basically trust in the lord don't lean on your own understanding i think that's the primary thing to learn in life that kind of sums up the life of faith yeah trusting god Hey, I would say that that is the best piece of advice that that you can give. Trust in the Lord and don't lead on your own understanding. And that is a hard thing to do. It's a little bit easier said than done for sure. Um, Well, I love that you already mentioned a little bit of your testimony that you didn't become a Christian until you were 30, but yet so many people know you as this author that has written some incredible Christian books and incredible books that maybe even led them to become a Christian. I remember, you know, I've been a Christian for a while now and do ministry, but when I read Redeeming Love just this past year, I was just crying um, reading it. And I've never, I'm not much of a reader and I've never cried reading a book, but I was just crying because God was becoming so real to me as I was reading it. And just that I I could just think about wrestles in my own life with God and conversations I've had with God and the voices that, you know, you hear from God speak. And it just really moved me to the heart of the Father. So a lot of people don't know that backstory of you not being a Christian. And so what did that journey look like for you? When did you come to fall in love with Christ yourself? Well, I, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, And I uh, started writing when I was in expecting our first baby. So, Mm -hmm. but I was writing in the general market. 
steamy historical romances. And then wow. when we became, I became a Christian uh, in 1986, and that just changed everything. I mm-hmm. couldn't write. Um, it Nothing I had written made any sense to me. Wow. And I ended up just reading the Bible through. We started a home Bible study. And it was through that home Bible study that we came to the Minor Prophets. And that the book of Hosea is really what just broke me open. Wow. And I felt like that was God telling me, this is what I want you to be writing. You've been writing these other, you know, these other romances. Yeah. But this is the real thing. This is what the real thing is. So that was really, I felt like that was my statement of faith when I wrote that book. I was trying to share with the people who had followed my career in the general market, um, you know, what had happened in my life. Hmm. And I, I would get letters from people saying, you know, I wish I could meet a Michael Jose and I could write back and say, you can. It, it's a it's an allegory about Jesus. This Come is, on. you know, you can meet Jesus and have a love like that in your life. That is great. So, oh, gosh, that's um, so powerful. But it's like all the books since then have really had to do with uh, struggles that I've had in my own faith walk. Hmm. So I'd, I'd have a question because I thought I thought Redeeming Love was going to be the last book I ever wrote. Wow. And God had other ideas. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But, you know, like with a voice in the wind, um, it really had to do with how do I share my faith with unsaved family and friends who don't want to read the Bible and they don't want to hear about Jesus. Mm. And when I learned in the process of writing that book is it's really how you live because people are watching Christians all the time. Mm. And then, then they will ask and God provides the answer. So it's like each book has been something that I've been dealing with or trying to find God's perspective. Wow. And the writing has become a tool to just draw closer to the Lord. That's powerful. So. What does that process look like for you? So you have a thought and you think this is a question I have for the Lord or this is a perspective I have. And then what next? How do you start writing this no. story? Well, it usually it starts with the question and then the characters are, you know, there's always one struggling Christian mm-hmm. um, because that's how I consider myself. A struggling Christian, you know, trying to find answers and trying to figure out how do you walk that faith walk yeah. in a in a very dark world, the world that's becoming darker all the time. And then the different characters kind of play out all the different answers that you hear mm-hmm. and that you see. Uh, but what is the search is what's God's perspective. So the story just I'm what they call a pantser. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the story's going to look like. I just start on page one and begin to write. Wow. And I have a very loose kind of outline of where it's going to go historically. But wow. um, it's just God is revealing things. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. I actually was wondering that, like if you knew the end of the story when you start writing it or if you kind of just let it go. That is so cool because I'm not going to give it away because I would never want to give away the end of Redeeming Love to someone who's never read it. But I had chills. Like I was like, jaw drop chills moment of just like god it just felt like the most perfect wrapped up moment because you know when you're reading a book and it's so good and you're like i really hope the end is everything you want it to be you know yeah and it was just so much more it was so awesome so that's cool to know that god just is kind of speaking to you as you write well there's always a happy ending too i'm not a i'm not a modern writer because i know a lot of books that are coming out now they don't have resolution at the end or they yeah. have a very unhappy ending. But, you know, with Christ, you have a happy ending. It's good. That, that is the ending. There is faith involved. And in the story, you know, in any love story uh, that I write, it's always a triangle. It's yeah. always a love triangle. Come on. Because as people draw closer to God, you know, they're drawing closer to each other. Uh, 
So That's he's got to be at the center of it. You know, there is a difference, too, between a Christian who writes and a Christian writer. Hmm. Um, a Christian who writes may put part of their, you know, put their worldview in there, but it's not central to the story where the books that I write, uh, I'm writing, if you took Christ out of the story, there wouldn't be a story, it would collapse. Wow. So there's a difference in that too. He has to be the center. Wow, that is so good. And I love that you write stories with a good ending because you're right, with Christ. Yeah. It is a good ending. And I honestly yeah, think- Yeah, we our, know the end of the story. <laughs> yes, and I think our culture could use a little bit more of that. Like, I, yeah. it, it's kind of sad that you're right. A lot of modern books and movies and stories, it's like this- it ends on not a good note. And I think a lot of people view yeah. life like that, you know, that yeah. what's the meaning, what's the purpose, but what a gift that to know Jesus and to know that, man, the story, it might not look good now, but it, but it gets good, but we already know yeah. the victory that he holds. It's awesome. Um, I just love that, you know, you used to write these steamy romantic books yeah. and now you're writing um, these books about the heart of God, but also not shying away from just, the really tough things in the world, but also showing like beautiful aspects to God. And especially with redeeming love, you talk about so many gritty things, so many things that are hard to talk about, hard to write about. Um, why, why do you go there in your books? Like, I, I think it's needed. Do you think more people need to do that? And how did you get to the place yeah. where you're like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. Y'all, I love summertime. It is my favorite season and I'm so excited to jump back in. We are approaching the best time of the year. But no matter what your summer looks like, KiwiCo invites kids and kids at heart to enjoy their first summer adventure series. Kids can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks, no matter what their age is, with enriching activities that accompany each project. KiwiCo has something for everyone with different topics for each age from space to dinosaurs and so much more. I am so excited about the summer series. We actually are getting this little driver that I know Haven is going to love because it's a little steering wheel and she loves anything active and also a little like neighborhood fun one where they have a water paint thing, which is so good because it's not going to make a mess and Honey is so into painting right now. And painting with a three-year-old, yeah, that's just hard. So I'm excited for the no mess. KiwiCo offers kids a chance to get outside and explore screen-free with projects like the Bottle Rocket Kit from the Summer Adventure Series. They can turn the outdoors into a playground of learning and fun. Every Summer Adventure Series with KiwiCo is a personalized experience that includes real engineering, science, and art projects. And you'll be impressed with how high quality all the materials are. Everything we've gotten from KiwiCo has been absolutely amazing and such high quality. I know sometimes it can be hard to find creative, engaging ways to keep your kids away from the screens and just having fun, but KiwiCo does the legwork for you so you can focus on spending fun and quality time tackling projects together. The KiwiCo Summer Adventure Series is personalized to your family and can be received all at once or weekly for six weeks depending on your schedule. If you like it all at once, that's great, or space it out a little bit. Build the best summer ever with KiwiCo. Get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash sadie rob summer that's 20 percent off your summer adventure at kiwico k-i-w-i-c-o dot com slash sadie rob summer
Spring is a great time to start something new, right? So whether it's cleaning or a new hobby or a new audiobook, a good story is always a great way to start a new journey and Audible has all that you need. I come from a family of great storytellers, so I know Audible is the home of storytelling, which is where I want to be. Audible lets you enjoy all your favorite audio entertainment together in one app. There's always something new to discover or you can rediscover some of your old favorites. Audible has an incredible selection of audiobooks from every genre like bestseller new releases, memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, business, and more. It is the destination for mind-blowing entertainment with selections of mystery and thrillers that will keep your heart racing. And with next listen recommendations, there's always something irresistible at your fingertips. Plus, members get full access to a huge and growing selection of included audiobooks and audible originals and even podcasts like, well, that's good. So you can download them or stream them anytime, anywhere. Audible members can also pick one title each month to keep from the entire catalog, which is some serious benefits, y'all. The newly included selection of titles makes your Audible membership even more valuable and gives you the chance to discover your next favorite thing. With thousands of titles available, you're definitely going to find something that you love all in one convenient app. So I know some of you are into, you know, thrillers, crime, mystery. And I got to be honest, that's not really been my thing. So I told Bella, okay, Bella, tell me what I could like listen to that wouldn't scare me, but I would like be into it. And she told me about this title called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And so I started it and John Luke loved it too. And so I'm just now on the cusp of it. And y'all, let me tell you, it is very entertaining. You do want to listen to see what happened next. So if y'all are into that, Audible is a great place to find those too. New members can try Audible now for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash Woe or just text Woe to 500 500. That's audible, A U D I B L E dot com slash Woe or text Woe to 500 500 to try Audible for free for 30 days. Well, I know that, you know, with Redeeming Love, I really identified with Gomer hmm. um, in the book of Hosea. I wasn't a prostitute, but I still felt like, you know, I always was turning away from God and looking to other things for answers. And so in that sense, I'm a harlot. I was a harlot. Hmm. So I wanted to to start in the nitty gritty. And I all the books that I'd written before then were in the 1840s to 1880s California history. So I thought I wanted to put it in the same time period that I've been writing in. Hmm. And I wanted it at a time period that really, um, you know, had a lot of historical interest, which the gold rush did. Hmm. But I didn't, what I didn't know when I was writing Redeeming Love is I didn't have that kind of background. So I think that God revealed a lot of things to me as I was writing, because I I didn't have the kind of life Sarah did, the little girl who becomes, is sold into prostitution at eight. And I started getting letters from people uh, who read the book, who were in that lifestyle, who had wow. been abused as children, you know, broken marriages, people that were uh, in prostitution or had been trafficked. And I I had not made that connection. Hmm. Uh, I thought I was writing about something that happened over 100 years ago. I didn't know wow. it was happening now. Wow. Um, and I, a friend invited me to speak at the um, International Conference on Prostitution. And I said, well, what would I have to offer them? I don't, you know, you know so much more about the statistics and what's happening around the world. And she said, you have no idea how redeeming love is used. Hmm. That it was, it's like a first um, contact type thing that they can give to somebody. Because, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to hear the name of Jesus. They don't want to hear about a Bible. 
but they'll read a novel and that opens up conversation. It's like a tool, a bridge wow. um, to reach people. Um, and they just, they wanted to know where did the story come from and how did you write it? And how did you know all that stuff? And it's like, I didn't, I hadn't, I was wow. just writing what God was revealing to me. I felt when I was writing that book, I felt like Jesus was in the room with me telling me wow. Sarah's story and revealing her heart to me. Wow. And also, you know, what it, what it would look like to, to be like Christ in a relationship, to try to love the way Jesus does. And that's what I was learning from Michael, is that he wanted to, he wanted to be like Christ. He was, he was showing angel Christ-like love all the wow. way through and how difficult that is. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. Uh, to love that way. I think that so many times it's like easy to think, well, God is just God. So God gave me all this and I'm so grateful. But you don't understand like until you try to be like Christ, how hard that is. And I think that's what became so real to me in that moment is just how much God loves me that every time I run off, every time I go straight, every time I go back to the old ways, like he's still there with this pursuing love, but love that's so bold enough to wait, you know, for me to come back. And that's like some of the hardest part of reading the book. You're like, go after her. But yeah, or it's like, why is she running away so many times and how many times in our life we run away? Yep. And I, I know one of the things with the challenge with, with the movie is I said, you have to be able to see, I wrote the script and then I worked with DJ Caruso on the production script. Hmm. And I wanted to make sure that scene was in there with Michael, where he's saying, let me go after her and yep. bring her back at the end. Yep. And God is telling him, you have to wait, because she was beginning to look at Michael as her savior. Yeah. And God was saying to him, no, you, I'm her savior. You have to let her go and find me. She has to seek me. And Come then. On. And he wouldn't give Michael the answer, you know, because Michael's saying, is she going to come back in the book he's asking? Hmm. And God isn't giving him an answer because wow. it really, the choice is ours. We have to make that choice to follow Christ and to accept him as the Lord and Savior. Yeah, that's so hmm. good. So I love how you say young girls come up to you and say, I want a Michael. I can't wait to be yeah. my Michael. And you tell them, yeah. you know, Michael is Jesus. Anybody can meet Jesus. Yeah. I love that. But I know you have been married for over 50 years, which is yes. an incredible thing. And one I'm sure we can all learn so much from. But tell me a little bit about you meeting your husband and just the journey y'all have had of being married for 50 years. Oh, yeah. We met in fifth grade. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, we were really good friends all through grade school and high school. And he had another girlfriend and I went off to college. He went off to, he joined the Marine Corps and he was serving in Vietnam. And my brother was uh, in, in army intelligence and he was captured during the Tet Offensive wow. in a way. And it came out in our hometown paper. Uh, and Rick's mom wrote to him every single day that he was in Vietnam. And while Tet, the Tet Offensive was going on, they didn't get any letters. So when the Tet Offensive was over, he got a whole stack. And the top one was about my brother being captured. And then the second one was about when the Marines came into the city, um, my brother had been badly wounded, but he was able to reconnect with, uh, he was able to get away from his captors and was reconnected with the the Marine Corps, and then they brought him out of the city. So uh, Rick wrote to me and said, you know, you're lucky to get your brother back because most of them don't come back. 
Wow. And the group that my brother was captured with, some of them went, ended up in North Vietnam hmm. because my brother was badly wounded. They kept him there in way. Wow. Um, but we started a correspondence and he came home and it was like, wow, he's growing up. Wow. <laughs> so he came home on December 20th and we were uh, 1968. We were married December 21st, 1969. Wow. Um, and, awesome. you know, we we each had stuff from our, our lives. You know, I was in the 60s college, you know, and all the stuff that was going on there. And, and he was coming back from Vietnam. So he had some PTSD. So we had a lot of issues to deal with. Right. Um, but I think being good friends was a sound foundation. That's and then, of course, it was years later that we came to Christ and that changed everything. You wow. know, that really began a whole new chapter of our relationship. And that, that Bible study that we started, uh, originally I, I was coming back to church because I, gr I grew up in the church, but you can be sitting in a pew and not be a Christian. Yep. You, know, you can have head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. Mm. Um, and I, I couldn't get him to go and... Um, we had gone to a church in Southern California, but I think Jesus had left the building. I mean, they wow. just were not teaching the gospel. And Rick was actually the chairman of the board of trustees, and they didn't know he wasn't a Christian. He didn't know he wasn't a Christian. And he saw inner workings of that church that really bothered him. So when we moved to Sebastopol, he didn't want any part of the church. Wow. And then I went back because we were very close to getting a divorce. We were really mm. just struggling. Um and I walked into this church and felt like I'd come home. It wow. was a you know non-denominational autonomous church hmm. teaching just scripture, teaching the Bible. And I he didn't want to come, so I asked the pastor, "Would you be willing to start a home Bible study?" And he said, "Sure," because I thought if I can't get Rick to go to church, I'll bring the church to him. So, <laughs> yes. But we were you know Rick is now teaching that class. We wow. it's been going on for over thirty years. Come so on. every time we moved, we just kept it going, and we. Sebastopol, Windsor, Santa Rosa, all in the same area, but we just kept moving around. We have about 15 that come now, but people have moved away. We've walked people through cancer. Mm. You know, we've, uh, you know, had a lot of change over the years, but it's still going on. That's going incredible. Strong. That is awesome. Yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit more about that. I feel like I could learn so much from you and I could ask you a million questions on just uh, several of the things you just said about even marriage or church and all that. But one thing I want to talk about is, okay, this Bible study has been going over 30 years. And like you yeah. said, you've walked people through cancer. You've had people move. So hard things have happened within that 30-year yeah. time frame. How do you stay committed to something like that? And I think it's interesting that, you know, the book, it took about 30-something years to become a movie. So you clearly have yeah. um, a thing with, with waiting and being committed to something. And so <laughs> teach us a little bit about how to wait for things and be committed to, to something we believe in. Yeah, well, you know, every time we, we kind of talk, well, should we not have it? Because it'll, it'll you know, people, we had a number of couples move away because they wanted to move out of California. Yeah. They were retiring and they, so they were moving to Idaho and they were moving to Montana and they were, you know, moving to other states. And we thought, okay, we've got about six people left. Should we, should we keep it going? And then other people start coming, you know, wow. so it kind of builds up. So it's been something that we felt like this is something God's called us to do. Hmm. And it's um, it's really like a little church in hmm. a lot of ways because you get close to people. You know, in, in church, um, you have that big group 
And so you're saying, hi, how are you? Well, we're great. How are you? And you have like five minutes to talk. Right. With a small group, you really get to know each other and you pray for each other. And it's more like a family. Mm-hmm. So it's become a real important part of our lives. And I, I think there, there used to be an old saying, those that pray together, stay together. That's good. And our relationship really changed um, for the better. And it's grown over the years. Um, when we started getting up together, Rick had his own business. So he was uh, having to be at the office early in the morning to make his East Coast calls. So the only time for us to be alone together, because we had three children, um, was to for me to get up early and then we could spend that time together and we we read the bible together we do devotionals together we pray together and that's kind of the start to our day and i think that made a huge difference in our relationship and also our family you know the kids saw that they grew up with that that's sweet i love the intentionality behind it of like if that's the only time i'm gonna see you then i'm gonna be getting up at five and i think that sometimes you know we make so many excuses as to why we don't have time for something, but a lot of yeah. times it's just taking that intentionality to carve out the time for the things that are important. And I'm starting yeah. to learn that recently just because having one kid definitely throws off your um, schedule and routine. And uh, at one point it was good to just go to work, come home, be with Christian, but now it's like, okay go to work, be a mom and make sure honey gets all the time she needs and make sure Christian and I have a solid relationship. And we've talked about too, I've realized about a month ago, I just need to get up earlier. And it was like an epiphany. Wow. That would just solve a lot of problems. And um, it's true. Just making time for the things that matter. Um, Like I mentioned, the movie, you know, just came out, which is incredible. And I was there opening night with a lot of my friends. And Mm -hmm. it was so awesome because I came with a group of friends who's in a life group. And then there was all the different like life groups from church there. I was like, oh, hey, Mm -hmm. hey, hey. Saw my pastor's wife, saw everybody. And it was just the best. The opening night, everyone was so excited. And for me, I got kind of lucky because I read Redeeming Love just a few months ago and then Mm -hmm. found out, oh, there's a movie literally coming out in a few months. And then a lot of people read it 20, 30 years ago and had to wait all this time. What was that wait like for you? Because obviously the wait was, you know, hard for everybody else, but you're the one who wrote this book. You, You love it. You, you know, this is your story in a sense. Like how why the weight? How was the weight? And uh, what was some of the things behind the scenes while while we were waiting? What were you working on? Well, a lot of people had approached me and talked about, you know, wanting it to be a movie. And we had we worked with several other companies. Um, but they very often, you know, I'd read the script and I'd go, they just don't get Michael. They don't mm. understand Michael. Wow. And usually it was it was always men that wrote the script. And they had their own ideas about how a man should behave. Wow. And it was usually they wanted the guy to ride in at the end and and save the day. It's like, no, you're not understanding the story. You're not understanding who Michael represents and why he behaves the way he does. Wow. Um, And I I was talking to Cindy Bond. She was interested in, in getting the option. Uh, and I, I just thought, I'm, I'm going to just try to write a script so I can show them what I'm looking for in a script. Because I did, I have a very good attorney and she made sure I had a lot of creative controls. Because had you I ever felt like done I this before? Just, pardon? Had you ever written a script before for a movie? No. So this is all no. new. This is all new. Wow. Um, so I got, I got some books about how to write a script and I downloaded Final Draft onto my computer Awesome. And I just, 
I knew what it had to be in the script. Yeah. I, lo I love movies, so that helped. <laughs> that does help. Um, but I thought, okay, I'll write an example, and then they'll understand what I'm looking for, and they'll hire a, a professional to do it. And she's, and Cindy said, we, we like this script. We, we'll take this script. Hmm. And then when DJ Caruso came on board, of course, he knows how to how to make a film, a beautiful film. And I had writ it, written it as a linear story just the way it is in the book. And I think um, it would have been too hard for viewers to see that whole backstory of the little girl all up front. Mm -hmm. You know, if that's what you're watching when you come into the theater, a lot of people would be getting up and walking out, especially people that are survivors. Yeah. Because it would have stirred up so much for them emotionally. Yeah. So... He restructured, and then we worked on other scenes to to bring out the story and to make it clear, you know, wow. what it was all about. That's so it, the script that is in the movie, I felt like we both put in that. So that's why we're both on the credits for the for the screenplay. That's awesome. But it, it was quite an experience. We were Rick and I were able to go to South Africa and watch the filming and meet the actors and wow. um, see the sets and all that. But I felt. Too that we, you know, finding the right actors, I was involved in the auditions. Mm -hmm. And we knew right away Abigail Cohen was just perfect for the role of, of Angel. But Michael was hard to find. Yeah. Because we had to, we, you know, there again, the actors would come in and they would, they, there was this one scene where he's meeting her in the, in the brothel. Mm -hmm. And it's when he's kind of upset with her. And they all were, most of the Americans, would be coming on to her and it's like no that's not yes. <laughs> that's not michael so dj actually saw tom lewis um in something and he said i think this is the young man that we need because wow. he had a a complete you know like full scholarship to the uh the drama school in london he was a stage actor very very talented but he by the time G dj got there to audition him Tom had read the book twice. Wow. So he understood the story and uh, they had a long conversation. He said, this is, this is the young man we need. And he really has an ability to show all the different nuances of, of emotion. Uh, wow. I think he really pulled off that role. I, ho I hope he becomes a big star. Yeah, he yeah. did. I was wondering that for you. I mean, of course, for the reader, you imagine who these people are and what they look like when you're reading it. And yeah. I remember the trailer came out right around the time I was reading it. So I was so excited. I was like, oh, putting like the face to the name and kind of just imagining that like it was going to be in the movie since I knew I was about yeah. to see it. But I bet that was really hard for you because when you were writing these people, I'm sure you had this picture in your mind. And so to see them... I bet that was just the coolest yeah. thing. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it was really amazing. And it, it, just to be able to meet them. And, and I didn't try to interfere with the way they played the roles because I felt, you know, you have to trust the actor yeah. to, to do what he needs to do. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And with Abigail, there was that, there's the one scene where she's in the water and she's scrubbing herself. Yeah. And we knew that was a real crucial scene um, that had to be just right. And she she did a beautiful job on it. She I mean, we were, I couldn't have been happier with the actors that, that were chosen for the parts. That's awesome. She was perfect yeah. for Angel. She yeah. was like perfect for that it was awesome yeah. everything about it was just so good so cool um so obviously the movie is so well loved and the book is so well loved and you've even shared a little bit and i want to hear more about stories that people have 
come to you? Like, has there been a moment where someone's come to you and shared their story that you've been like, wow, that's why I wrote the book? I mean, I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's several, but can you think of one that comes to the top of your head where something happened with the book or a story was told that you thought like, that's why I did it. That's why we made it. Well, you know, so much of it, I, when people come to me about their, um, you know, how they responded to redeeming love, I always feel like, you know, God can use anything, even a work of fiction to reach his children. Yeah. So I almost feel like, well, I'm, I'm not that important. I'm incidental. This is all about what God is doing in that person's life. And I've, gotten a number of letters from from women that are in prison and that you know they for a long time I think prostitutes were treated as criminals and now we're beginning to understand that very often um, and probably most of the time they are victims they have been uh, forced into prostitution or they've been groomed into it um, trafficked into it that's that's on the rise I mean that's one of the highest crimes that there is now Mm with the human trafficking. Um, But I, you know, just the personal stories I've read, I've received so many over the years, but what I tend to do is I read the story and they'll, people will write their entire life story to me. Wow. And I will read it and then I will, I'll write back. Hmm. And then I destroy the letter because it's so personal. Hmm. It's not meant for anybody else's eyes um, to see that because they're, they're sharing their pain, you know, just the anguish of what they've gone through and what brought them into it. And so many of them have been Hmm. abused as children by family members, people that they should be able to trust and, and they couldn't. And then that makes them vulnerable um, to somebody that just wants to use them. Gosh, that's so sad. That's, that's really yeah. amazing that people are able to reach out to you in that way and share well, one their story. Of, one of the things that came that I wanted to add in here that one of the things that came out of the movie that I was really thrilled about, Holly Caruso, who is DJ's wife, she's actually the one that read the novel wow. and took it home to, to DJ and said, you have got to make a movie out of this. Wow. <laughs> this has to be a movie. They're very strong in faith, both of them. And um, we were talking because, you know, for Rick and I, the the proceeds from Redeeming Love have always gone into ministry since the very beginning, other than what needs to be. For a long time, it was everything. And then Rick said, we can't afford to pay the taxes and you know, <laughs> we need to pay the taxes. So we pay the taxes. But Holly said, you know, what if we started a ministry? Because we want yep. to do the same thing with whatever I make from the movie. And she founded Redeeming Love Sanctuary Foundation. And I think we're going to change the name to just Redeeming Love Foundation. Um, so the proceeds from the book go into that. And we're, awesome. we're coming alongside ministries that are on the front lines working with survivors. And then we can give grants for programs, you know, educational programs, that kind of thing. So that awesome. was a huge thrill because I feel like we're able to do something practical to try to change what's going on and help the people that have been. That's um, awesome. That have survived, you know, horrendous, horrendous wow. lives. Come on. That's so good. I actually had that note to ask you about that. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. How can yeah. we as listeners like be a part of that? Can Is there a website we can go to to help donate? Yeah, uh, It's www.redeeminglovesanctuary.org. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, and there'll this, be all kinds of information on there. So uh, explaining amazing. it all. 
Well, if you're listening yeah. to this right now, I would just encourage you. We're going to keep talking, but I would go do that right now. Look up the website. Give what you can because this is a true um, story that so many people are living right now. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can be a part of giving and changing someone's life in that way. So thank you for setting that up. Um, I want to ask you, because I know with the movie, obviously so many people loved it and so many people adored it and learned from it and cried through it and felt God in it. And then a lot of people, you know, have criticized it. A lot of people Mm -hmm. have misunderstood or not even seen it or have a perspective, um, an off perspective of it. Did you anticipate some of that going into it? And how do you handle that? You know, do you just stay rooted in what you know to be true? Well, when it, when it originally came out over 30 years ago, um, there was pushback on it because it was about a prostitute. I mm. mean, even though it's based on a book from the Bible, yeah. um, it was kind of an edgy book at the time. So I knew there would be some pushback. I think it was a real shock to DJ and also to Cindy the how vicious some of the criticism was. Totally. And what surprised me, um, although it shouldn't have, that the, the worst criticism uh, came from people who had never read the book or seen the movie. Yeah, they just assumed it was pornographic, and they and I wrote a blog to try to explain, you know, the whole why every scene in that movie is there for a purpose, hmm. um, and you know, I'm I'm behind it fully. Awesome. Um, I I even had um, I had things canceled because they'd ask me, you know, we, were you were you on board with everything in the movie? And I said absolutely. You know, wow. I wrote the script. And it's it's all biblical. If, if people really thought about the Bible, there mm. the Bible is R rated, and yeah. there are places in the Bible that are X. You know, yeah. um, so you can't have a PG thirteen. You know, the the warning would be consider what the subject matter is, and it is about trafficking. Yeah. Although we didn't promote it as a trafficking book because we didn't or a trafficking movie, we didn't want. Um, that kind of connotation to it because it's more than that. I mean, yeah. it's it's really about God's love for each of us and yeah. the redemptive power of His love. Yeah. Um, but I I knew it would happen. Um, I was told don't read any of the <laughs> don't read any of the websites. Don't go online. And I thought, you know, I know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you have to do what God's calling you to do. Yes. And just try to, you know, remove yourself from some of that and just pray. I didn't want to disrespect anybody that was criticizing it because I think they felt they were being gatekeepers for their denomination, you know, because they were telling people to avoid this, don't go, you know, have nothing to do with it. It's pornographic and all that. It was like, I wish you'd seen it and understood the, the whole story. But it really, the movie was never intended just for the Christian audience. It was intended for people that are uh, in the world and have no concept of who Christ is. And also, um, like one of the things that got a lot of pushback were the love scenes. Yeah. And it was like, well, hopefully it's very clear that he, he first of all, he paid her ransom to get her out of the brothel. He married her. And then he waited months and wooed her until she loved him yep. and it meant something to her. And then the marriage was consummated yep. and how beautiful sex is between people who love each other and are married and committed. That's that's the beauty of God has designed us for that, too. So yes. that was 
the intent of that. Yes. Um, but people were like, oh. hey, no, so. I thought it was beautiful. I, I have to say I really did. I thought it was beautifully done. And I think that, you know, we don't have, um, well, I'll say this, the Bible paints the most beautiful picture of what yes. sex is and what it was designed for and because yes. it's created by God. But we don't yeah. have that represented very well in our culture. We we no. have the complete opposite of what sex is or what it is um, used as nowadays, and that's terrible. And so I think you being able to show a redemptive story of all of the pain and the past and the guilt and the just horrible aspects of just the nature of trafficking and what that looks like, but then the beautiful aspect of the redemption of God and then what sex looks like in a marriage and how powerful it is. I thought it was beautifully done. And honestly, it was a great example that I think we need to read and we need to see. And so I think it's awesome. And then another thing I want to say too, is that we do live in a cancel culture and I hate that that happened to you and that people canceled you for certain reasons or whatnot. Um, but I love what you said. You got to do what God calls you to do. And yeah. I think that a lot of people right now, especially in the church, are backing down from saying the things they feel called to say, doing the things they feel called to do, because they're so scared that they're going to get canceled by culture. And for me, um, I don't know if you know anything about my background, but I come from a TV background and then went into ministry. But I was on Dancing with the Stars and when I was younger, and um, being a Christian going on that show, a lot of Christians had some hate for that, you know, because you're dancing yeah. and you're in outfits or whatever. And I remember my mom said to me, she's like, you're called to be the light of the world. Um, and she, you know, told me that verse about you're not meant to be a light hidden under, you know, the sand, but to be on top of the sand to give light to everyone in the house in the same way, um, shine your light so that people can yeah. see, you know, Jesus in you. And so she's telling me this verse and just giving me this example. And I go out in Hollywood and I'm in the midst of, you know, a lot of craziness and I'm able to shine a light and yeah. people came to know, you know, God just because of that. How cool. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing that in a really huge way through this book. And I think that as Christians, we cannot be scared of the darkness. Like you have to know you're the light. And you also yeah. have to realize that if cancellation comes because you did what you're called to do, well, that's a lot of what happened to Jesus, you know? Yeah. So if the, if the world hates you, it hated me first, you know? Yes. And so yeah. I just think what you're doing is awesome. I just commend you for your um, boldness to say, I am behind this, your um, vulnerability to write this book, put it out there, make it a movie, all the stuff. I, I think it's awesome. And so... I just want to say thank you for that. And I loved getting to hear your heart on it. Whenever um, I saw that you said yes to doing this podcast, I was like, I can't wait to hear your heart on this book because I know people have so many opinions. Uh, but man, your heart's so pure and so beautiful in that. Um, I know you have a well, new... We want so much, you know, I think Christians, we want so much to reach the people that don't have any concept. I mean, yeah, it was actually when we moved into Sebastopol and Rick and I were so, we were just struggling in our marriage. It was actually a little boy of eight what? who came next door and wanted to help us move in. And he said, have I got a church for you? No way. And on the other side of us, uh, this was the only house for rent in Sebastopol at the time. So it's like God put us right there between these two families. And on the other side, uh, the lady was coming over with with apple pie and saying, We'd, I'd love to invite you to church. And it was like, wow. that was the church I went to where I felt like when I walked in the door, I'd come home. Come on. 
so it's like, you know, we we can be a light in our neighborhood. We can be a light wherever we are, but it, we need to reach out, you know. Yes. And I think there's so many people. I heard the term Masada Christians years hmm. ago, where people go inside the fortress of their church and they want to close the doors and windows and keep the world out. Yep. We're supposed to be going out to the world yep. and drawing people to Christ. And I think that. We, the culture isn't canceling us. We're canceling ourselves. That's good. By staying silent and by staying yep. hidden. Yep. You know. What a scheme yeah. of the enemy, too. It's like to make you fear that culture will cancel you so much to the point that you actually cancel yourself because you're so yeah. afraid to say anything. Yeah. Wow. That's a good point. Whoa, that's mm-hmm. good. That's a moment. Um, so you have this new book out, and it's called yeah. The Lady's Mind. Tell us a little bit about it. And um, also, I just have to mention, like I said at the beginning, you've written over 30 books. Do you, like what, do yeah. you even know what number this is? I have no idea. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's awesome. The last one. It's the, the last, last one I worked on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So tell us about it. What, what are you excited I, about with this book? Oh, my gosh. I had so much fun writing that book because I wanted to go back to the we- the Old West. That's where I started. And, and it's a romance. But I also was dealing with the question of can one person make a difference in the community? Hmm. And, of course, with Christ, yes, you can. But she's uh, she's wow. feisty. <laughs> uh, Catherine Wall, she's feisty. And she's basically been disinherited by her family, wow. by her stepfather and her mother, and sent West to collect an inheritance that was meant for her mother, but her mother has signed over because women didn't have the right to have property at that time. Hmm. And the, the stepfather sees a way to get rid of her. So go hmm. collect whatever it is. It's not going to be very much, but go and don't come back. And she finds out that she's inherited a little house on Main Street in this wild west town that she can smell a mile away when she comes into it. And it's the silver mining era, the 1870s. So it's a lot like the gold rush, just mm. a wild, lawless place. Mm. And she takes one look and she just begins to see the, the potential and what needs to change. And she, she realizes very quickly that what she's inherited is not just this little house, but a Washington hand press, which was a, mm. used for newspapers. So That's she awesome. thinks... All right, I'll try. So awesome. there, there's a lot more to it than that, but I called it my COVID book because I wanted there to be a lot of humor in it. Yeah. That when we were all sitting sheltered in place, and of course a writer is normally sheltered in place anyway to get any work done. <laughs> but I thought we need to laugh. We need to have yes. some things that are amusing and fun. And so that book is a lot lighter than the masterpiece was the book before, and that was heavy duty about childhood trauma and how that can affect adult adult thinking. But this one is more like a taming of the shrew in the Wild West with a little bit of Oklahoma tossed in there and, you know, just Love a mix it. of things. Yeah. Love it. Well, I had a this... lot of fun with the names. You know, there are different names of characters uh, that are just meant to be humorous and the names of business, you know, businesses and the titles of her articles and stuff like that. So I, I just had a lot of fun writing it. That Hopefully so people fun. will have a lot of fun reading it. 
Hey, I'm sure we all will. Well, hey, thank you for writing a book that we can laugh with, that we can read and get lost in. I think we need that right now. There's a lot of heaviness. Yeah. There's a lot going on. And what a great escape to read. And, you know, I'll, honestly, also still get inspired, though, because your work is so inspiring. And this book being about a girl who's using her voice to change a community. And I just love what we said a second ago. You know, the enemy wants to silence your voice. Culture wants to silence your voice. But you've been given a voice to use. Yeah. To, to, to change culture, to shape culture. And I love I love that heart behind this book for that reason. I think it's awesome. And you do that with your voice so beautifully. Um, so for those who are listening, so obviously you got to go read Redeeming Love if you haven't. You got to see the movie. You got to read The Lady's Mind. What, what other book would you say, okay, if you're getting into my work, this is where you should go next? I would say A Voice in the Wind. Because cool. that was that was a book when I was first a Christian and I was really struggling with how do I share my faith. Hmm. You know, I wanted so much to share my faith, but most of the people in my life at that time were not Christians and they didn't want to hear about Christianity. Yeah. And, you know, you get a lot of pushback. You know, what happened to you? You know, what yeah. happened to you? Why are you the way you are? You know, and they I, I remember one gal, I was coming back from a conference and, and we were talking about faith and they were they were literally mocking me and teasing me. Hmm. Uh, and I was driving and I thought, you know, that's the way it is. And a year later, one of the gals that rode with me wrote to me and she said, now I understand because now wow. I'm like you. I became she had become a Christian. Wow. But it, it was uh, in the early days, you know, when you're first a Christian you feel that pushback and you're just yeah. kind of confused. Well, how do I share this passion I have now and this new life that I'm experiencing? I want all my friends to know about it. Mm. And uh, so I, I would say that would be the place to start. That's awesome. That's that so was good. the one I wrote after Redeeming Love. That's so good. Oh, gosh, I'm so excited. I got to go read that one because I haven't read that yet. I'm very excited now. And I love what you said. That's so true. I remember when I started doing ministry and uh, some of my friends mocked me for it and were like, really, you're going to do ministry? And how's that going to work? That'll be short lived, that kind of thing. And then um, I remember a few years in, I was on tour and I was speaking and one of my friends who used to kind of make fun of me for this came to a night and at the end of the night, she ended up saying a very similar thing that your friend said. And she cried and hugged me and said, I get it now. And I'm so thankful yeah. for what you do. And it was just awesome. And so I think, you know, when you stand true to who you are and when your faith is real, and when, I'm, when I say real, not just something you say, like you said, not just because you sit in a pew, but because your heart's changed, because you love yeah. God and you love people well, and because you have joy and you have peace and you have the goodness of God in you. I mean, that that preaches louder than any anything you can do, you know. And I just yeah. love that you um, are so such a gifted writer, and you've done all these things for thirty books and years and years and years. But but also you've led a Bible study for thirty years, and that to me is just like the most inspiring thing. Because I have a Bible study I started about a year and a half ago, and to think you know in thirty years, what I can I say like I'm still doing that because that's yeah. the heart of what I'm doing. It's just awesome. Yeah. Well, and scripture is new every morning. It's like it's over the years, you change, you're growing as a Christian. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's like the, the original version of Redeeming Love came out in the general market. Hmm. And then I had grown as a Christian and I got the rights back. And then there, what I call the redeemed version of Redeeming <laughs> Love is what's available now. That's awesome. So I got the rights to the first one back, but I was able to put the conversion scene in. I was able to 
take some things out that I felt were a little bit too edgy for the Christian market. But, um, you know, you're always growing and changing. And, and same with scripture meets you right where you are. Yeah. So in that 30 years, I mean, we've tended to, the first time I read the Bible, I read through the one year Bible, which to me blew me away because I could hear God's voice in all of it. Wow. Because you're reading the Old Testament, the New Testament, a Psalm and a Proverb, yeah. and you actually go through the Psalms and the Proverbs twice. But I could see where the old, new Psalm, and they were all talking about the same thing. It was mm. like, you, you knew it was being written by individual men who were inspired by God, but what I kept hearing was God's voice through all of it. And that just blew me away. And I think, you know, every time you go through the Bible, there's so much there that, you know, it's always new always new. Well, I want to ask you your last question, because I really could ask you a million questions. But this will be my last question. So as a writer yourself, as an author, reading the Bible, um, is that like a different experience for you? I mean, not I mean, I'm sure you couldn't say it's different than anybody else, because you don't know what anybody else reads or how they read it. But what yeah. are some of the things in the Bible that stick out to you that maybe the next person wouldn't think about, but because you are an author yourself, when you read, do you feel like there's perspectives that you get that make you excited that maybe the average person who doesn't write for a living would even think about? Well, you know, when I, I tend to look at people, um, and I think, you know, a lot of times people look for doctrine, they look for yeah. how to, but I tend to look at the lessons that people are because, you know, from the beginning to the very end of the Bible, it's always about the heart. It's yeah. always about God looking at our hearts and where our hearts are. And yeah. um, I did the lineage of grace, which is about the five women in the, the first chapter of Matthew. Hmm. And then I thought, you know, I'd written and the shofar blue, which had to do with churches. And what is a church? What is a church? It's not just a building. It's the body of Christ. Hmm. And out of that, I was really fascinated by uh, five men from scripture and how they were kind of the back, back behind the leader, like Aaron instead of Moses. Mm, you cool. know, we focus on Moses, but Aaron, you know, what was his part? And yeah. then you've got Caleb and Joshua. You know, Caleb was behind Joshua and how did he influence Joshua? Yeah. Jonathan and David. So I was more interested in Jonathan and the part he played in, mm. in building the King David. So that in Amos, how I think the prophet Amos speaks to all of us today. He's a prophet for our time. Hmm. And then Silas, who was the secretary to Peter and Paul, you know, hmm. traveled with them and saw all that was going on. So yeah. it, to me, it was fascinating how important it is to have those people that you don't know that much about, but they're behind the scenes. And yet they're they're really the foundation, too. They're the yeah. ones that are holding up that leader awesome. and keeping that leader accountable. Uh, which we need accountability in the church. Um, yes. So I I think I tend to look at at the individual people in the Bible and what's between the lines. You know what what other things were they having to face in their life and and how does that look and how to you know how does what does that have to do to me? How does that apply to my life? That's awesome. That's so good. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm excited to go read the Bible now. And yeah. I'm excited to go read all of your books. Well, Francine, thank you so much for being on the Whoa, That's Good podcast. You have had several moments throughout this podcast that I have literally refrained from saying, Whoa, That's Good, just for the sake of not saying it a hundred times. But no. thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the movie, the books, um, just the heart that you have and the willingness you have to share it. We are so grateful and I've truly learned a lot today. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. So good.